This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharif Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. It is now that time of the show where we meet our Mensch Thought Leader of the Month, Amanda Blankfield Kosser from Empowerbate. And as per the slot, Jody Ramsey, Project Manager from Mensch, will introduce her. Uh, Jody, over to you. Hi, and uh, always great to speak to you monthly. We're thrilled to have Amanda today on your show. Amanda's been a network member, I think it's right from the start of Mensch. And for those of you that don't know, Mensch is a Jewish social change organization with our main aim to empower and support Jewish social change workers that work across the wider South Africa. Amanda being one of our network members. And just on the side, this is our 24th thought leader. So um, we've been doing this for two years and I had the pleasure of, of actually being a coach on one of Amanda's online trainings with her kids. And it was an amazing experience. Amanda, I'm sure you're going to talk more to that. So uh, I'll be quiet now and let you get on with it. Thank you, Jody, And welcome back, Amanda. Amanda's not new to the show, but we've spoken to her more about her music, perhaps, than her entrepreneurship. Amanda, my previous guest was working with young women aged between 20 and 27 in the IT sector. Your focus is very much on kids at schools. Tell me a little bit about Empowervate and who your target audience is. Okay, so Empowervate is the NGO and Empowervate stands for Empower and Motivate. That's how the name came about. And the main program that we run is the Youth Citizens Action Program. We call that YCAP for short. And that program focuses on kids in school from age, from grade five to matric, basically. We've expanded the range of age. Um, it started out being only for grade 10s. And we just expanded as time went on because the program this year is 13 years old. So we've been doing it for a while and we operate in schools across the country, focusing mainly on public schools and a lot of them in rural areas and under-resourced schools. But we also encourage all schools to enter because we want schools to be you know interacting with each other so they can have social cohesion we don't want people to be isolated and separated so what we do in the schools is we actually provide a toolkit that explains project management it's a step-by-step guide and what they need to do as learners is go through that toolkit there are workshops we provide as well and then follow that guide and find a topic that they want to work on to make a positive change towards. So it could be a social issue like alcohol abuse or drugs or teen pregnancy, you know, all of those kind of social issues, or it could be an environmental issue like recycling or saving water, things like that. Or it could even be um, more of an, like an educational issue like lack of a library or lack of textbooks or things like that. And what they need to do then is find solutions for those problems and then action them and prove to us at the end that they actually made a positive impact to that problem. So they have to put together a portfolio of evidence and do an oral presentation. And then we have different rounds of showcase events where we find the most impactful projects and reward them for what they've done. Sounds incredible. And it sounds in a way like what LO, life orientation, should be doing. And I, and I wonder if life orientation shouldn't actually be given over to you to do at the right age and stage of kiddies' lives. Amanda, just tell me a little bit about the schools you are working in. You, you talk about public schools and you talk about urban and rural. What are we seeing at the moment in South Africa? So I can tell you that um, in rural areas, there are many challenges involving just resources and infrastructure and you know lack of access to um, basic needs like the school I visited um, two weeks ago in very rural Eastern Cape in Lusikisiki. 
they they don't have you know great resources. They've ne- their whole community has never had a library before, and with this project, they actually used one of the shacks to be to create a library, and it's a tiny library. But it, the fact is, they made a library. So if you think about it, like we've got libraries all over in the urban areas. Like everywhere you go, you've got a public library, and then you look you know in that kind of area where they have never had one, and then also like the other school I visited two weeks before that um, in Elliotdale, also in Eastern Cape. Funny enough, they had pit toilets still. You know, pit toilets in this day and age. So there's many challenges with rural areas. But I have to say that the the Ubuntu and the energy and the vibe and the the generosity in the rural areas is much greater than in the urban areas. So that is the interesting part of it. Like people who have little give more, which is very fascinating. I mean, that is really, really fascinating. And I know, you know, somebody who absolutely loves books, I've now started once a year to collect them and give them to a different library. And I'm sure there are other people in my position who literally trip over books during during the year and then feel really good about letting go, especially, you know, possibly old school books, textbooks, um, readers that people are not going to use. And I'm sure they can find a very useful home elsewhere. Do you think, I mean, what are the resources you work together with the Department of Education? What are the resources that the department give? They give the basics, but sometimes it just isn't enough for an area that doesn't have much at all. Like, as I'm saying about the pit toilets, I mean, that was supposed to be fixed long ago. There were all kinds of campaigns to fix that, and yet we still have that. So um, what I'm what I'm trying to tell the schools and tell the learners is that they have to be the change that they want to see. They can't wait around for other people to fix things. They have to actually go and mobilize and advocate and get things done. And that's what's empowering about our program. We're not like, you know, just wait around. Just go and do something. I mean, you can make a difference. doesn't matter how old or young you are. And that's the message that I'd like everyone to get. Do you find that problems that face rural, I mean, I don't mean in terms of access to resource, but in rural areas, are they dealing with different issues to urban? I mean, is urban more nyope and teen pregnancies, different kinds of challenges or other challenges universal? So some challenges are universal. Like I'm sure you've seen lately, the teen pregnancy rates are through the roof. I mean, it's terrible to look at that. It's depressing, but that's across the board. I wouldn't say that there's one area that doesn't have that problem. Obviously, it depends on the situation. They might have higher numbers or lower numbers, but there's no problems that doesn't have that problem. Whereas there's some very specific problems that are in rural areas, such as faction fighting, you know, fighting between different factions. And that's what one of the YCAP projects was on a few years ago. So that's something that you can't generalize and say everyone has that problem because they don't. But for them, it was a huge problem. So they had to sort that out. Whereas in an urban area, maybe a problem would be uh, more gangsterism. Like in the Western Cape, there's a lot of gangster, you know, um, people with knives and weapons and all kinds of things in the schools that they're trying to sort out, which is quite, you know, specific to that area. But it doesn't mean that it's only urban or rural. It's a specific province issue. So yeah, all the issues are different. I wouldn't say there's one blanket problem that's across the board. Tell me about some of the initiatives that people have come up with and the kind of impact that it's had. You've already mentioned a library, but lots of different things. Okay, so I'll give you one example from the Northern Cape, a very rural area um, called Postmasburg. And the school is right next to a graveyard. And the graveyard is where all the learners used to go and do all those social issues. Like they used to take drugs and they used to vandalize the gravestones and do all kinds of sexual things. And so it was a bad place. It was, you know, not ideal. So they actually decided that their YK project would be to fence in that graveyard firstly to protect the graves because you know you shouldn't be playing around there and secondly because of all these social issues so they went to the municipality as their first port of call and they were told well you know it's not really a priority we've got hundreds of other things that are higher on the list so we'll get to this at some point we don't know when so they said don't worry we'll sort it out ourselves so they decided to do the project on that and they went and they fundraised I mean they, they got a bakery to donate buns and then they got some sausages and sold them at the school to make money they went and did some waitering at the local spur 
transfer and they got profits from that. They did all kinds of fundraising activities and they also got donations in kind from some of the businesses in the area. And they erected the fence and they put a sign up and they said, this is a collaboration between these different parties as part of our YCAP project. And to this day, the fence is still there and they're still maintaining it and they're making sure that it's kept up to date and it's not um, rusting or getting stolen or whatever because they have ownership of it. And that is the key thing. They did this, they put their energy into it and they are proud of it. And it's much better than something that's just done for them where they don't have that ownership. So that's one of the success stories. I mean, let's talk about ownership, but also the fact that people have given up on government to provide and the need for people to to decide for themselves. Uh, how do you give people a sense of ownership and motivate people to take control themselves when, when they are living in such bleak conditions? So we say to them, the first thing is they have to develop that self-esteem and that confidence that they have the power to make the change. And then we say, start small, do a small project, see that it can work. And then go into bigger things. You know, don't start with a huge project and then get disheartened. Start with something that you can achieve and then grow from there. And that's what we find. Schools that participate every year, they do different projects every time and bigger and better ones because they get that confidence and they realize that they actually can make a difference. And support from teachers and educators? We've got some amazing teachers who are mentors on the program, just putting time and effort in, going beyond the call of duty, working overtime, you know, all that. They're just so amazing. And those are the teachers who really are assets to the system and are mentors and guides to those learners. And it's just amazing to see them. And I just wish that more of them would come out and, you know, take charge and do the same thing. Because if we had lots of teachers like that, then our system would be way better. Amanda, you must really see the kind of the best and the worst in human nature dealing with you are, and you're also dealing with kids. So what is your, if I just said, if I put your finger on the pulse, what is our pulse as a country? I find that there is a lot of discontent and anger and all of those things, like there is that in our country. But then as soon as there's something that's positive and that is making a change, then people start to soften and they start to see the hope and they, they change. The whole culture changes when you see that something actually can happen that is good. But not to say that everyone will notice that. Like we have one school where the teacher is like that. She's positive. She's great. The principal, not so much. But she just carries on. She's like, I can't convince him. I'm just going to keep going. (laughs) So, you know, they say like, let the people talk and then you just do the actions and you make it happen. Forget about those people who are negative. You can't change them. They'll just have to either fall off or (laughs) leave you alone. And in terms of your your staff, and I mean, how many are you and how do you operate? So we're a very lean model. We work with the Department of Education for implementation and we have a lot of volunteers. So we don't have like a whole team of staff that do this. We rely on the education department to advertise the program to the schools. And then we have the teachers that we train to be mentors. And then we've got alumni who are in the um, volunteer program and now also Mensch has brought us some more volunteers who have been very helpful to us, especially with presentation skills and for adjudication and things like that. Do rely on a lot of um, goodwill and a lot of people giving back. And I think that's the beauty of the model. I think we've come almost full circle then in this interview. We started off with mentors and network and ended off with mentors and network. Um, Jody, you, you finally you, you get to have the last word then. Mentors and network. <laughs> Thanks, Amanda. Um, really wonderful. Every time I listen to you and what you do, I have greater and greater insights into the impact that you have. And um, we feel very privileged that you've chosen to be part of Mensch and that you are one of our LIFT leadership alumni from um, 2021. Thank you. It was awesome. Thank you to both of you, Amanda Blankfield-Kossa from Empowervate and Jody Ramsey from uh, Mensch for joining us. Jody, we'll speak again next month. Wonderful. Look forward to it.